Zechariah chapter 5. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on out in the building. They have been painting the ceiling, and the uh, paint that they use, I can't remember what it's called, but the dust from it, rather than there being overspray, it falls like dust down onto the floor. So what that means is if you go and wander around out there and come back into the building, you're going to bring all of that back into the building. And when you do that, it's actually a blessing because then you get to buy us new carpet. (laughs) Honestly, if you want to go out and wander around in there, please do, but then go outside. (laughs) Don't come back into the building from there. We did clean a spot from the elevator out to the side door so that you could, uh, people who need the elevator can do that. So please do that. But you'll see it when you go out there. You'll see all of the stuff that's all over the floor. It's pretty exciting. We have the painting is supposed to be finished out there this week. The flooring in the lobbies goes in this week. All of the, the flooring in this part of the building should be done this week and next week. And then I think it's the following week the flooring goes in in the new auditorium. And hopefully, we'll be able to use the auditorium for Christmas Sunday still. So that's the plan. Be in prayer for that. There are so many details that are being hammered out as we finish it up. But be in prayer for that and be faithful. Continue to come. Continue to be helping people to get in and out of the building. Um, If you have opportunity, come early because, like this morning, there were things that need to be cleaned and cared for. So just... Let's just keep on moving ahead through the Christmas season and serving God. Amen. All right. Zechariah chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 5. This is the next vision. It's the vision of the ephah. Let's start reading in verse 5. Zechariah 5, 5. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. Now, an ephah is, it's a bushel basket. So an ephah was a measure of, of uh, grain. And it's a, think of it as a bushel basket. And it was the largest measure that the uh, Israelites or the Hebrews would have had for that. So it's a big basket. So I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is, now look at what it says. It's an it, and now it moves to there. This is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And this, so that talent of lead, a talent, that's the, the largest measure of weight for measuring a piece of metal. And this would be a round piece of lead, like a lid. And you'll see that's what's going on here. And it says, Behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And it says, This is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, This is wickedness. So the woman that's sitting in the midst of the ephah is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, And behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to understand this passage today. And Lord, there's so much truth that needs to be taught from this text. Father, I pray that we can listen well, that you'll help me to have clarity of mind and thought and to be able to uh, present this in a way that'll help your people and bring honor to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, obviously, this is not your typical Christmas era passage, but you're going to be amazed at how it ties together with the Christmas season. And I didn't intend that. That's just the explanation of the text. And so it'll be fun to see that. So we know that the ephah is a basket. The talent is a weight of lead. And it's a lid that's put on top of this basket. But there's also a woman. And we're going to look at it. But I want you to see something. There's a message specifically for Israel in this text. And then there's a message that is universal. 
So look with me in verse 5 again. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. And he said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. Do you see that? Through all the earth. So this is a universal message. This will affect the entire earth. But there are some specific things for Israel. So look at verse 7. I want you to see something. It says, And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. All right? So this woman. There is a woman. What's interesting is this is the image of a woman. And what this is, it's another violation of the Ten Commandments. All right? So look at chapter 5 again. And remember what this is saying in the scroll So look at verse 3. And he said unto me, This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. Do you see the universal message again? You see that? What's repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. So you're seeing that this is a universal message addressed to Israel. All right? So then it says this. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side according to it, and everyone that sweareth shall be cut off as on that side, according to it. So keep your place here and go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Anybody tired from staying up last night watching that ball game? How many of you are tired? Any of you tired today? All right. Exodus chapter 20. Now, you young people, this is really going to be cool for you guys to learn some of this stuff from the Bible. So stay plugged in with me on this. All right, Exodus chapter 20, and let's look in verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you know of Christian churches where they have images that they bow down to. How many of you ever heard of anything like that? How many of you think maybe we should not do that? We were talking about in the new building. How many of you have seen the uh, stone around the tower? How beautiful that is. I was thinking about putting an image of me preaching there. And you could all come and bow down to that and pray. There's a famous picture of Billy Sunday, the preacher. And he's, it's like this, you know, he's preaching. I think that would be my pose for the statue. How many of you think that might be weird? What if we put an image... <laughs> what if we put an image of Bill Hovastrite and went and bowed down to it? If he could come back from the grave, he'd come back and just slap you if you did that. That is not biblical. And let me ask you a question. Is there anything hard to understand in that? Don't make graven images. Don't bow down to them. It's very clear. Um, All right. So then look at verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. All right, so that is on one side of the scroll in uh, Zechariah chapter 5. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. All right, the eighth commandment there, thou shalt not steal, is on the other side. Of the scroll. And so the point of that is that this is the heart of the law. And as we looked a few weeks ago, the the law is a curse to people who say they can keep it. All right. So now go back to Zechariah chapter 5. And so here again in verse 8, you have this, or in verse 7, you have this woman. It's an image of a woman. And again, this is the violation of the Ten Commandments. Now, what's interesting is 
This is a specific message for Israel that God's going to judge Israel because they claim to be able to keep the law and they couldn't. But this scroll, it's very interesting when you look forward and you see when all of this stuff takes place in the tribulation period, that the first of the judgments... Well, let's just look at it. Keep your place in Zechariah. Go with me to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 5. Let's look at Revelation 5. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, a book for them was a scroll. The idea of binding those pages into a book, that didn't happen until much later in history. So this would have been a scroll, or as it says in Zechariah, a roll. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And I'll tell you something that's interesting. There's one who comes to take it, and it's the Lamb of God. And he opens it. And I want you to think about that. Only Jesus is able to open up this 30 by 15 foot scroll. That's interesting, isn't it? Then look at what it says in verse, chapter 6 and verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And now you go into the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then you go on to these other judgments with famine and sword. And all of this judgment that consumes the whole earth, it begins with a scroll just as is mentioned in Zechariah chapter 5. How many of you think that might be a connection? Right? So go back with me to Zechariah 5. All right, so we're looking at this woman. And so remember, we have two commandments mentioned, the heart of it. And then we have what you end up happening with idolatry with this image of the woman. And the Bible identifies this woman as wickedness. And of course, she is made into an idol. The scriptures are filled with references to this woman. Now, don't miss this. This is so important. So look at the verse again, verse 7. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. So history is filled with the exploits of this woman. So uh, look at, uh, keep your place here, go to Matthew chapter 13. Now, if you remember how significant Matthew chapter 13 is, Matthew chapter 13 is the beginning of the end. Jesus has been teaching. The Jewish leaders commit the unpardonable sin in Matthew chapter 12. And you might want to put a marker or something like that in Matthew 12 because we'll come back to it. But look at Matthew chapter 13 and look at verse 33. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which, uh, what? A woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto him, unto them, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus goes on and, and explains the parables to his disciples. Listen, so important that you get this. How many of you have heard this, that a parable is a heavenly story with, or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning? How many of you have heard that? Okay. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's just the opposite of that. A parable is a dark saying according to the book of Psalms. A parable is God hiding the truth from the people because he knows they are not going to receive it. And if they received it, listen, if they heard it, they would then be accountable for it. So Jesus, from this point on, only spoke to Israel in parables because he knew they were going to reject him. That is the mercy of God. They're still under judgment, but their judgment would be worse if they understood the teaching. 
So he would give the parable and to, to the multitude, then to his disciples, his followers, those who believed in him and were going to receive the truth, he gave information that had been hidden from the beginning of the world. It's really important. And what we see is this woman, and what this woman is doing is she's sowing leaven into the whole loaf of bread, into that whole lump. And what it did was it corrupted all of that because leaven is corruption in the Scripture. That is the purpose of this woman is to deceive and to destroy God's people, whether Israel or the church, through corrupting of the truth. This woman is found all through Scriptures. Uh, Look at Revelation chapter 2. Days like today, I wish that I were a better teacher, that I had better prepared you all and those in the overflow to receive this because, man, we're so distracted. How many of you would you say, you'd be honest with me, and you'd say that you're having a hard time paying attention today? Raise your hands. Honestly, you would say that. That's the way that I think that's why God has me be a preacher because it's so difficult for me to sit and pay attention and listen. I'm with you. I get that. But if there were ever a sermon that you listened to and that you took notes for and that you downloaded from the website to listen to again so that you could be grounded in things, it would be this one. That's how important this is. Now, of course, I always want you to listen to the preaching. I always do. But today is a very special one because you can't understand your Bible the way that you need to if you don't get this right here. There is a war going on for the faith. The Bible says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. The Bible says that that we are to war a good warfare. The Bible says that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that, that he may please him that has called him to be a soldier. Christianity has been corrupted. We see the corruption all around us at Christmas time. Christianity has been corrupted. Judaism has been corrupted. That's the point of Zechariah chapter 5. There's going to be a worldwide judgment for it. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How many of you are thankful that for you, if you're saved, there is therefore now no condemnation? Everyone else is under the judgment of God. And there's so much confusion, even among Bible preachers. So as I'm studying Zechariah chapter 5, there's complete agreement among commentators about what the ephah is and what the, the lead talent is and what the image is, the wickedness. But what they try to say is that's just all wickedness together. So that's the wickedness of mankind. No, it's a very specific wickedness. It's a woman a very specific wickedness, and that woman is identified all through Scripture. Look at Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 20. So this is Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest. Now, when you see that word suffer, it means to allow. All right? You allow that to happen. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Now, how many of you, that's what you wanted to name your daughter? was Jezebel. Is, is, that, is there a negative connotation to Jezebel in the Scriptures? Is Jezebel a man or a woman? Now, if you wonder how she identifies, we need another sermon. All right? She's a woman. Now, isn't it interesting how Satan wants to confuse all that stuff? Is that fascinating? You can't make it up. All right? Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, now look at what it says, which calleth herself a prophetess. Is she a prophetess? No. She calls herself that. So notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. All right. Now, in Christianity, we would call that the Mass. (laughs) 
Think about that. Look what the Bible says. And I gave her space to repent of her. What's that next word? Fornication. Fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Verse 23. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. When Roman Catholicism took over Europe in the Dark Ages, half the population of the world died. Half the children of the world died when that happened. Folks, believe the Bible. When it says something, believe the Bible. This woman, so she, she corrupts God's word in Matthew chapter 13. She brings iniquitous practices into the local churches in Revelation chapter 2. And we're not going to take the time to turn there, but if you want to write it down, Second Chronicles 24-7, she breaks up the house of God, and that's the, the, the cross-reference to Revelation chapter 20. Go back to Zechariah, and I want you to see something. Zechariah chapter 5. Verse 8, and he said, this is wickedness, and he cast it into the midst of the ephah. So what I want you to see is this woman is there. So you have this ephah, and you have the, the lead lid, and this angel casts the woman, apparently she's trying to get away, into the ephah, and puts the lid on it. That's the picture that I want you to get. So this wicked religion is thrown, or this wicked system, this woman, and you're going to see, I, I, I kind of spilled the beans ahead of time, that this woman represents a wicked religion, a wicked system of thought that's thrown in. So it's very interesting. I want you to think about something. So Israel, they had, they had not done the sacrifice that they were supposed to. They hadn't done their sabbatical years they hadn't let the land rest. They hadn't done what they were supposed to, and they were worshiping idols. So God sends them into 70 years of captivity where? Okay, let's get everybody on board. Where were they sent into captivity? Babylon. Babylon. All right. They came back from Babylon, and it's very interesting. From that point on, idolatry is not really a problem among the Jews. Very interesting. So they're no longer sacrificing to Baal and they're no longer doing those things. But notice the, the illustrations that God is using in Zechariah chapter 5. The ephah, that's the, that's the bushel basket. That's the weight of measure for the trade of grain. A talent is the weight of measure for metals, precious metals. Lead is what is used in those transactions on the balances. You'll have a certain amount of lead weight, and that's how you would measure your silver, your gold, to determine value. So when the Jews came back from Babylon and they started establishing their existence again, they became known not as farmers like they were or as herdsmen. What well, Abraham, what did he do? He had herds. What did Jacob do? He had herds. Now what did they become? They became merchants. And as merchants, what were they known for? Stealing and lying. You understand Zechariah 5 a little bit more now? And what this is dealing with, not only does it deal with Israel in their immediate context, but it's a prophecy about what's going to happen that's going to influence the whole world. And God is saying there's going to be a global economy that is run, we know, by the Antichrist. And what do you have to have to buy or sell? You have to have a mark, the mark of the beast. All of this is going to be tied together in the book of Zechariah. So we need to understand that they no longer bowed down before idols. Their idol was covetousness, which is as the sin of idolatry. or I'm sorry, covetousness, which is idolatry. Is that what the Bible says? What do you think America's great sin is? 
Are we in the key holiday to worship covetousness? Isn't that interesting? So now, notice what it says in verse 8. And he said, this is wickedness. This is wickedness. This is wickedness. This woman shows up all over the world under various names, but she's adored and worshipped universally. Let me go through some of her names. Tammuz. So in, the, in the, that mystery Babylon religion, Tammuz, they, she had a son. And that son was virgin born and they worshipped the son. Tammuz. And then in Jeremiah. Oh, go there with me. Jeremiah. Some of you in my Sunday school class know right where we're going. The best class, those who actually love Jesus. <laughs> Jeremiah 44. I should have had you turn here a minute ago, but you have to see it. Jeremiah 44. Let's just see if I'm making any of this up. Have you all noticed that this kind of thing's not taught in churches? How many of you have noticed that? What we're looking at here, do you know why? Because this is the most offensive thing to modern Christianity right here, what we're looking at. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 44, look at verse 17. So this, this is Israel. These are the Jews saying what they believe. All right, it says this, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven. How many of you know anybody in Christianity that burns incense to the queen of heaven? It's crazy. And to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings, and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for then we had plenty of victuals and we were, and were well and saw no evil. So what they think is that because they were making sacrifices, burning incense and drink offerings, again, does that sound like anything to you? They were doing that. What they were saying was, well, we, didn't have, we, didn't, we had plenty of food to eat. That's interesting, isn't it? When did the food leave? When God judged them for making sacrifices to the queen of heaven. So let's go on, verse 18. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine, by the famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, we did make her cakes to worship her. In modern Christianity, they would call that the host. And pour out drink offerings unto her without our men. So in verse 25, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but God pronounces judgments on them for doing that. So this, this queen of heaven, so she's known by Tammuz or the queen of heaven. And in the Old Testament, other parts of the Old Testament, Judges 2, she goes by the name of Ashtoreth. Do you know who Ashtoreth was? She was the consort of Baal. This woman. She's also known as Ishtar. Or Ishtarte. And Ishtar is where we get the word Easter. That's, so Easter was, the, the, that's the name Ishtar, and it was the, the spring solstice pagan celebration. That's where that word comes from. It's interesting, isn't it? Ishtar. How about Mother Earth? How about Queen Sabbath? How about Diana or Astarte? Or how about Mary? Is Mary the queen of heaven? Okay, let me ask that question again. Is Mary the queen of heaven? No. Let me ask it one more time. So I think there might be some who's not sure. Is Mary the queen of heaven? No. 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 And so what we end up with is this paganism from this woman that influences all religion. And you know what God calls it? Wickedness. Wickedness. This is hard speech. This is, this is difficult to talk about. How many of you know people that are bound up in some kind of a religion like this? How many of you know people that are like that? We need to pray for them. Listen, really important. They're not okay. They're, they do not believe what we believe. They've been deceived. They're not evil because of what they're believing. They're believing something that's evil. And we have to know the truth. 
Then look at, go back to Zechariah. Nothing new under the sun, folks. Look at verse 9. Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings. Now, here's the problem. There are people that believe that, that these are angels because most of the angels that you see, they're women and they have wings. Well, the Bible in the book of Hebrews says that many have entertained angels unawares. Is that what the Bible says? Would you notice 10-foot wings on the back of somebody that came to your house? <laughs> angels don't have wings. They don't have wings. And there are no female angels. Ever. So what you have is this demonic thing that's going on, whatever it is. The Bible doesn't define this. The closest thing that we have to a definition of this, look at, keep your place in Zechariah, of course, look at Proverbs chapter 30. I told you this was an unusual Christmas message. Now, Proverbs 31 is about what kind of a woman? The virtuous woman. Okay. Look at Proverbs 30 and verse 15. The horse leech hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things. Say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith, it is enough. And it's so interesting how all of that ties together with the tribulation period and all of that judgment and the plagues that God pronounces. And those plagues that are announced, it's interesting. If you study those plagues that are talked about in Jeremiah chapter 44 and you, you just tie it all together, it is amazing how God's word is so consistent about all of this. So back in Zechariah chapter 5, we have these two women and the wind was in their wings. And we can find out whether or not this is a good thing or not. Because look at what it says. For they had wings like the wings of a... What's the, what's the bird? A stork. Now, basically, when I think of a stork, I think of Vlasic pickles. <laughs> you kids, do you kids have any idea what I'm talking about there? Probably. Some of you do. Good. Um, but it's interesting. But, but genuinely, when you think of a stork, what do you think of? Babies. Where did that come from? You can't make this stuff up, just so you know. Where did that come from? So I want you to see these women. I mentioned there's no female uh, angels. But I wanted to find out where, where did this come from? Where, and you know, understand in medieval art, in the, it's Roman Catholic art, that's where you started seeing these female angels with wings. That's where that came from. And let's see. I, I wanted to get that for you. Okay. What happened, according to, to Alfred Edersheim, he's written the history of the Jewish people. And this idea of winged angels and things started coming in. And it, it was from this extra-biblical account of... Boy, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I didn't write it down here. And I, I don't want to mess it up. So let me tell you that story next week so I get it right. But let's look at this stork thing. So the stork is listed as an unclean bird in Leviticus 11.19. So a stork is an unclean bird. It's listed that way. Um, and also Deuteronomy 14, 18. So these two women are connected with Satan, not with God. And in Greek mythology, these women with stork wings are known as harpies. It, it all, all this stuff ties together. Storks were sacred to Venus, the Roman name for Ishtar or Ashtoreth. All right? And Venus, this is... So when you think of storks, what do you think of? Babies. Venus was the goddess of, fer of fertility. And if two storks built a nest on your roof, then it meant that your family was going to receive a blessing from Venus. 
Isn't that interesting? The Catholics connected the stork to the Annunciation and Easter because of the birds' associations with spring, the season of fertility. See, all of, all of that mythology that, that comes into Christian circles, it all had its basis in paganism going back to that same woman. Fascinating. So these two women who have the wings like a stork go back to Zechariah chapter 5 and look at what it says. Verse 9, Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and heaven. And then, or then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me, To build it, and house. So they're going to build a temple to this woman who is wickedness. And look at where they're going to do it. In the land of Shinar. And it shall be established and set there upon her base. The land of Shinar. The land of Shinar is Babel. So look at Genesis. either chapter, so chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain, where? In the land of Shinar. So this is the first city erected after the flood, after the judgment of the flood, and the building of this city was accompanied by the idolatry that would dominate the world's religions until the kingdom of Christ. It was organized by Nimrod. Nimrod, the man who sought self-exaltation here on earth in spite of God. And so when you look at verse 9, it says, Therefore the name of it is called Babel. And that name grew into Babylon. So the, the, the land of Shinar is where that ephah, is taken. Is that what the Bible says? That's where this Babylon mystery religion began, was in Babylon. That's why it's called the Babylon mystery religion. See how that works? It goes together that way. All right. Now, Babylon, the land of Shinar, is where the wickedness of that evil system of worship began. So now go to Revelation chapter 17. And let's see if that's over. Revelation 17. Look at verse 5. Uh, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit. In, so this is John writing. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw what? A woman. Sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Does that kind of remind you of Revelation 2 that we looked at a little while ago? And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. So this plain of Shinar is Babylon. It is in Iraq, north of Baghdad, south of Kuwait. And Saddam Hussein began rebuilding it, Babylon. And Babylon is going to be a religious and economic capital sometime in the future. That is going to happen. It could be built very quickly during the tribulation period. The Bible tells us that's where this is going to take place. Babylon. Babylon. It's interesting that the plains of Shinar is where the Tower of Babel was built. Another time, in the, and that's where people would bow down to Nimrod. Another thing that happened in the plain of Shinar is that's where the king built an image to himself and you had to bow down before it, and if you didn't bow down before it, you're thrown into a fiery furnace. 
Who did, got to experience that? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Where did that happen? Plains of Shinar. There's an image erected. You had to bow down to it. There's going to be an image that's erected in Babylon. And it's going to be the image of this woman along with the beast coming during the tribulation period. See, this is not over. This corruption is not over. It's really important that we understand that this evil has infiltrated Christianity and Judaism. During the last days, this image will be adopted by the beast, and he shall go so far as to stand one of them in the holy place. That takes place in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. Those who refuse to worship the image of the beast or to take his mark are going to be beheaded. And this is going to take place throughout the whole earth. In the last days, we learn that idolatry will become part of the Jewish worship once again, and probably by force, according to Matthew chapter 24. See, the Jews had laid aside idolatry, but they're going to take it back. Gentile nations, some are still idolatrous. We're idolatrous in the sense of covetousness. But that form of idolatry is going to take over the whole world. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie who loved not the truth. That's what the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this worldwide religion, it's coming back. It's going to happen. Idolatry will reappear. And it's it's the undeniable truth of Scripture that the mere absence of evil is never a deliverance from it. So the Jews, they stopped their idolatry, but that doesn't mean they're okay. Let's look at what Jesus said about it. Just got a couple more things that will be done. Matthew chapter 12. You thought I forgot about it, didn't you? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Do you see that? Adultery, fornication. See that theme? Seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So that's Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Drop down with me to verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and When he has come, he findeth it. Look, so a a, a demon has been cast out. A devil has been cast out. And when he comes back, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished, decorated. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. So here's what's going to happen to Israel. They stopped their idolatry, but they never replaced it with the worship of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so what's going to happen is all of that evil. You you hear about this. Why why isn't there all that demon possession and all of the demonic activity that was evident in Israel during the time of Christ? Why don't we see that now? It's going to happen again. And it's going to be seven times worse than it ever was before. And folks, listen, this is where this applies to us. Just because you cut a sin or a behavior or a belief out of your life, that doesn't mean you're okay. The biblical principle is it must be replaced with something. Unrighteousness must be replaced with righteousness. Ungodliness must be replaced with godliness. Immoral behavior needs to be replaced with moral behavior. Now, none of that saves you, right? right? But what happens is the Bible talks about in, it's either first or second Peter, that, that what happens to people is they learn the truth, but then they're like a dog that's returned to his vomit. That's gross. How many of you ever seen a dog eat their vomit? I call that a casserole. 
nasty. That's how the Bible describes Christians who don't replace what God helped them remove from their lives with what God wants them to do. See, when you stop partying, you need to replace it with fellowship. Right? When you stop wasting your money on booze, you replace that with meeting the needs of God's people. See, you don't just stop doing something. You start doing something else. That's what we have to understand. No, we're not bound up in the paganism that we've been describing. But are we true worshipers of God? I stopped, you, you may have stopped believing that that mass was going to help you. You may have stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven. You may have stopped doing those things, but you have you replaced that with genuine worship of the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, you understand that there are people that are way more devout in false religion than we are in the one faith, the faith once delivered to the saints. That ought to be convicting to us. And so what Jesus says, if you don't, you clean it out, you sweep it out, you even decorate it so it looks good. But if you don't replace it, they're coming back. How many of you have known people that have gotten away from the Lord? They once served God. They've gotten away from the Lord and you can't even talk to them anymore. And they're worse than they were before they were ever saved. Now, if they were genuinely saved, praise God, they still get to go to heaven. But they're going to be pretty miserable here on earth. It's very important that we understand that it has to be replaced. It's interesting that that plain of Shinar, that this... Religion, it's going to come back and be a major part in the summation of God's dealing with Gentile world power. And we're going to see a bunch of that through, through Zechariah. Go back to Zechariah and let's finish this up. So interesting, the words of Scripture. Sometime in the middle of the Great Tribulation, that city, Babylon, is going to be recognized as the center of world religion. Now look at what it says in verse 11. Zechariah 5, verse 11. And he said unto me, to build an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established. I want you to think about that. What does our First Amendment say? Congress shall make no law establishing a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Do you see that word establishing? That's called the Establishment Clause. Why is that? Because we don't want a state religion. Because the state's not saved. Are you with me? We don't want an establishment of religion. What did this just say is going to happen? It shall be established. It's going to be not only a state religion, it's going to be the world religion. You ready for this? Look at what it says. And set there upon her own base. Right back where she started. It's coming back, folks. This pagan religion. It happens in Christianity through women preachers. You've heard me say it. The guys on the, the men preachers, they want you to be happy, and God wants you to be happy. And they're just all so happy all the time. And the manliest preacher on television is Joyce Myers. I told my husband, Bob, we're going to go eat after I get done preaching. <laughs> women preachers. Not supposed to happen. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not the woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in subjection. Why? Because Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived being in the transgression. The only way that a church can be deceived by a false prophetess is if they listen to a false prophetess. You see, Judaism was undermined. This, the pagan world religions all have this, this female deity. 
and it just destroys people. Roman Catholicism has this Mary worship, the mother of God, the, the, the co-mediatrix with Jesus Christ, complete paganism and blasphemy. Amen. And modern evangelical Christianity has women preachers. And it's all an abomination to God. Amen. Folks, we need to know the truth. We need to stand for the truth. Whatever God has delivered us from, we need to replace it with something. Because God delivered Israel from Babylon. They were delivered from their idolatry, but they never replaced it with holiness. They never replaced it with truth. Remember what Jesus said? That, that God's looking for true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Are you a true worshiper today? Do you understand how this pagan woman that this horrible religious system that goes all the way back to Mystery Babylon, where they had fertility rites and they had bunnies, where they worshipped that fertility rite around the celebration of Ishtar. Does, does that sound like anything that goes on? All of that paganism was a part of this pagan system Look, I don't care if you have a Christmas tree. I don't think any of you are worshiping Baal. That, that's, that's not what you're doing. I don't, that, that doesn't, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is understanding that Satan hates the truth and he's going to use this woman, Jezebel, to undermine all of Christianity. And then that pagan one-world religion that's reestablished in the plain of Shinar in Babylon it's coming back. Folks, we need to lead people to Christ. We need to take a stand. We need to stop being so distracted by the things of the world through our own problems. And your problems are real. God knew that. We're still supposed to be earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this understanding of Babylon